light scalars for holy living. Um, let me start with um, just uh, an announcement. Uh, we have a ministry that um, will be starting a young adult ministry that will be starting. It's on your bulletin. Um, I think it's on your bulletins. Um, a young adult ministry that will be starting. It will be every Sunday, um, actually uh, twice a month on Sundays um, after church at our house at Hope Sweet Hope. Uh, 42 Ibis. <laughs> Uh, my head is still at home, sweet home. <laughs> For the two Ibis, uh, Safari Tain, um, this will be twice a month. Um, this uh, For young adults, uh, uh, the age is not limited. So if you feel, even in your blood, like you are a young adult, please, you are welcome. Uh, for, 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 we, it will not, so we, we will discuss the Bible. So uh, you, you won't feel out though it will be more engaging um, unlike uh, you know a sermon where you can't raise your hand in the middle of the sermon uh, if you do uh, we'll see uh, but anyways um, yes young adults the, the pilot um, um, uh, day will be in September uh, so first week of September we will start with uh, the young adults uh, ministry We've been going through the gospel according to Mark, and we are in chapter 12 this morning. We are in verse 28 up until verse 34. The title for uh, sermon this morning is a question of priorities. A question of priorities. Mark chapter 12, I read from verse 28. Follow me as I read God's word up until verse 34. And one of the scribes came up and, and had them disputing with one another, and seeing that Jesus answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to, have, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole bent offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let us Indeed, our Heavenly Father, our desire is that you will show us Christ, that you will reveal your glory. As we study these words recorded in the book of Mark, we pray that you may imprint their spirit upon our hearts. As we think about priorities, O oh Lord, may we 
also self-reflect and ask ourselves, what is it that stands as priority in our lives? May you be glorified in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Now remember that Jesus is, is in Jerusalem as he moves closer to the cross he finds himself under attack by certain religious Jews who want to see him dead. The Pharisees and the Herodians, two groups who were bitter enemies, came together to ask Jesus a question about ownership, remember? They failed to accomplish their purpose, which was to discredit him or to get him uh, to commit a crime against Rome. But Jesus used the occasion to embarrass them publicly, if you remember verse 13 to 17. When the Sadducees saw that their enemies had failed to trap Jesus in their word, in his words, they came to Jesus with a theological puzzle. They believed he could embarrass, uh, they, they could embarrass him by asking him to answer a difficult theological question. He did not fall for their trap. He exposed their hypocrisy, and they too were publicly embarrassed when you look at verse 18 to verse 27. While Jesus was speaking with the Sadducees, a man was listening in on their conversation. The man was a Pharisee, and he was a scribe, according to Matthew chapter 22, verse 35. This scribe was amazed by the answer Jesus gave to the Sadducees, and he had a question on his mind that he wanted to ask Jesus. This man's motive do not seem to be evil. He seems to be seeking information. Although Matthew tells us that he came testing Jesus, this word can refer to one person seeking to test another in a malicious sense. Or it can be used to speak of finding out what another person thinks about a matter. And as we, as we read the story, this is the case. He is testing Jesus to find out what he thinks about this matter. He does not have any ulterior motives. His motives are not malicious. In this encounter, Jesus is asked a very important question. His answer to that question gets right to the heart of what it means to be saved and what it means to worship. What Jesus had to say to this man has much to say to us today. I want to take these verses and preach for a while about the question of priorities. The, the truth in these verses teaches how God expects us to live our lives. To live our lives both vertically and horizontally. These verses teaches how we are to respond, first of all, vertically to God. And to our fellow human beings horizontally all around us. Our relationship with God affects how we relate with one another. If how we relate with one another is not good, then we need to inspect and investigate our relationship with God. Let's take a few minutes to consider a question of priorities. Let the Lord speak to your heart today and let him show you something about the priorities in your own life. First of all, 
they, they, they this this man comes to Jesus and asks him a question. And I want to look at the question in three uh, ways. First of all, the question asked. The question asked. Asked. In verse twenty-eight, he comes and asks a, a question to Jesus. He says, which commandment is the most important of all? As Jesus spoke with the Sadducees, this man was listening carefully. It's like you're sharing the gospel with someone, and, and, and as you're sharing the gospel with this person, there's another individual who's actually listening more than the person you're sharing the gospel with. We, we are told that he was a scribe. That means that he was specialized in interpreting the law. When the Bible speaks of lawyers... This is the profession it is referring to. This man listened as Jesus answered the question of the Sadducees. And in this man's opinion, Jesus answered them well. Mark does not um, leave that aside. He wants to uh, bring it before us to say that this man, when he was listening, he noticed that Jesus was answering them well. The word well means beautiful, complete. Jesus answered the Sadducees and left them no wiggle room. Jesus had totally shut them down. As the colloquial uh, Amma 2000 say, he dropped the mic. It was done. This man now asks his own question. He wants to know which commandment is most important of all? This was a common area of discussion between religious Jews. The, the, the Jews, uh, the Jewish scribes and rabbis had identified 613 commands in the law. 248 of these were viewed as being positive in nature. 365 were viewed as negative. These commands were then subdivided into two groups, the heavy and the light commandments. The problem was the, scribe could not, the, the scribes could not agree on which commands were heavy or more binding and which were more light or less binding. The, the scribes loved to debate about the law. They, they were constantly trying to figure out which command was the most important. Besides this, they spent considerable time trying to come up with clever one-sentence summaries of the law. Having had Jesus answer the Sadducees so well, this man thinks that perhaps Jesus can settle this debate for them. He wants Jesus' opinion about which was the greatest of all the commandments. People try, uh, still try to play with the word of God even today. They love to argue about the Bible. They love to devise riddles and puzzles based on the Bible. They try to figure out what they can and can't get away with according to the Bible. They try to draw a line. And on this other side of the line, they can do whatever they want. On the other side of the, of the line, they will not skip the line. It's like people who are dating and are not dating um, according to uh, biblical principles and they say this part going down is is not open to 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 touch this part going
going up. That's what you hear. When people are not shaped by the word of God, they try to draw lines for themselves and say this far and no further. I can run here and play around here, but I cannot go that side. That is irreverence for God. That is not honoring to God. In these verses, Jesus is going to tell us how to honor the whole law. Before we talk about that, however, I think we need to be reminded of a very important truth. You see, the only way anyone will ever see God is to perfectly keep every command, both positive and negative, in the law. One slip, one broken command, and we are guilty in the eyes of God as if we broke every law of God. Isn't that what James chapter 2 tells us in verse 10, that if you break one, you break all of them. Jesus said that we have to be more righteous, more righteous than the cleanest, most religious man living if we want to go to heaven. Matthew chapter 5 verse 20. The truth is, once you consider this, the truth really is, we are all guilty in the eyes of Romans chapter 3 verse 23 tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isn't that creating a kind of a problem in your heart as you listen to that? That God expects us to obey all the commands. Perfect. Yet we are fallen creatures. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and, and I can imagine what is going on in your heart. And you're wondering can keep these commandments. We, we are not good and we cannot produce anything good. Isaiah 64 verse 6 All our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. The only hope we have of being accepted by God is for His perfect righteousness to be given to us. It's to be covered in the righteousness of Christ. That is why Paul, who was once a Pharisee, he, he, he saw himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees. When he had encountered Christ, he says, my desire is to know him, to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through keeping the law, but a righteousness that is in Christ that comes by faith. We need a righteousness of Christ. When we come to Jesus by faith, we are given the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that, that word imputed means that the righteousness of Christ is counted on our behalf. When we believe on Jesus, we are regarded by God as having kept the full letter of the law. He sees us as righteous, even though we are still sinners, because of Jesus Christ. How is this possible? Well, 
Jesus, living as a man, a perfect man, perfectly kept the law of God. I saw a video of someone um, uh, preaching the gospel. He's saying, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And then they say, because Jesus is half man and half God. <laughs> and I was like, what? Let's just wait right there. We don't want to come to a half man and a half God. We want to come to fully man and fully God. We want to come to a man who kept the law perfectly. Without living a jot or a tittle. He crossed every T. He dotted every I of the law. And he is not just man who came and was fully man. He is fully God. He is the word that became flesh. The word that was in the beginning. The word that was with God. The word that is God. He is God completely. He does not lack any quality of Godness. He is God. Fully God. When he died, he died as an innocent man. Dying for guilty sinners. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 reminds us that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we may be the righteousness of God in Christ. You know, those who trust him by faith are given his righteousness. They are treated by God as though they are Jesus himself, as though they had perfectly kept the law. Jesus is the only hope for a sinner. Without him, you will remain guilty. You will go to hell. With him, your sins will be forgiven, completely forgiven, and you will be saved. Salvation is not a matter of who can keep the law. Salvation is a matter of who believes upon Jesus. Isn't that what the Bible says? Jesus himself in John 14 verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is only in Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the door. There is no way that we can go to God without him. There is no way we can have a relationship with God without him. And as we sang together before I came to the front, where else can we go? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Uh, we, we can sing it different. Where can we go? Because you are the way. Well, which truth can we look to? Because you are the only truth. Which life can we have in ourselves? Because you are the life. It is only him, isn't it, brothers and sisters? It is only him who is our hope. So we see the question asked. Not only do we see the question asked, but after an asking of a question, we expect that there will be an answer to the question. So we see the question answered in verse 29 to 31. Jesus responds to this man's questions by question by quoting the Shema. The Shema was quoted by all religious Jews every morning 
an evening. It, it still is. The, the Shema was written on small strips of paper and placed in letter boxes called phylacteries. The Shema is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Shema Israel, Yahweh Eleheinu, Yahweh Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It was put in letter boxes called phylacteries. These letter boxes were worn on the forearms, on those, and, and, and on the, the, the foreheads. This was an effort to literally fulfill the command of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, where the Lord says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Orthodox Jews around the world still use these phylacteries, they still wear these phylacteries. That the Shema was also written down and placed in a small round box called mezuzah and placed on the on all the doors in the home. If you were to to um, get in the synagogue before it was stripped of all uh, the, 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 the the Jewish um, uh, ornaments, you would see the mezuzah on that entrance door. The, the, this served as a, to remind the Jews in their going out and they are coming in. Most Orthodox Jews still use the mezuzah today. This is an effort to fulfill the command of Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 9 where the Lord said, You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Well, let, let, us, let me uh, put a footnote there. They did not understand what the Lord meant and they, they literally uh, put them on their hands, on, on their heads and on their houses. What the Lord literally meant, what the Lord meant about it, it was that the, 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 the word of God was to control their actions. It was to control their thinking. It was to govern their household and their lives. That was the idea. But they stood away from the spirit of the law and kept to the letter of the law and just bound them on themselves. It's like someone who has a tattoo of all for Jesus, but they are living for the devil. Or you have uh, something on belonging to Jesus on your, your, your car, a bumper sticker on your car, belonging to Jesus or, or, or in Christ, yet you are driving like a maniac. And these people did not understand the spirit of the Lord. The Shema can be found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse uh, 4 to 9, in, in, in chapter 11, verse 11 to 21. It always began with an affirmation of the existence of God and of a reminder that He alone is God. Thus, when Jesus begins by answering the question, He begins in the traditional way by saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Then Jesus took all the 613 commands in the law and condense them into two commands. Let's take verse 30 and verse 31 of our Lord's powerful answer, phrase by phrase. I want us to, to go phrase by phrase. Verse 30, <clears throat> notice those first four words, and you shall love. This, he speaks, this, this word love is, is, is agape in Greek. It refers to Love that is intelligent. 
purposeful and committed. It is love that is an act of the will. In Greek, there are four words for love. There is agape, there is storge, there is phileo, and there is eros. Storge is love for things. You have love for things. Love for an animal, love for your house, whatever. You know, uh, love for a stranger. Uh, uh, phileo means brotherly love, and it means uh, uh, emotional tender and uh, emotional tender affection. Eros is marital love; it's a sensual and physical love. So Jesus uses the word here, agape, intelligent, purposeful, and committed love—a a love that is an act of the will. It, it speaks of the kind of love God has for us. It is unconditional, perfect, eternal, and changeless. It is utterly unselfish. It is a love that gives itself away with the expectation of nothing in return. This is the kind of love that caused Jesus to go to the cross to give himself for us. It was, because, it was not because there was something lovable about us and he couldn't keep himself but lovers. There was nothing lovable in us. In other words, we are to love him like he loves us. This is a love that keeps marriages together in all the seasons. When marriages go through, you know, seas of trouble, mountains of, 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 of difficulty, the, 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 the love, the committed love continues to stand strong. This love is possible, but only because he loved us first. First John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because he loved us. He says, you shall love. What are the next words? The Lord. This is the word, the Greek word, curious. It speaks of one who owns another, a master. We, we cannot truly love the Lord until we see him as Lord. We, we do not truly love him until we have surrendered all to him and acknowledged that he is our master and we are his slaves. This is a call for a life of absolute submission and surrender. It is giving ourselves to him, acknowledging that he is in control of our lives, acknowledging that he is the one who calls the marching orders. You shall love the Lord. Notice those two words again. Your God. This phrase speaks of being in a saving relationship with the Almighty God. He is not, he is not your God until you have surrendered to Him as Lord. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? You shall love the Lord. He is the Lord. He is Master. Your God. He is your God. He cannot be your God unless he has first become your Lord. You may surrender to him and believe the gospel for your salvation. Is he your God today? And a lot of people claim God, but God doesn't claim them. They claim God, but their lives deny him. Their lives reject him. Is he truly your God? 
Can you say he is my God and I am his? Can you truly say that? It is not enough for him to be your father's God or your mother's God. He should be your God. God does not have grandchildren. He's not a grandfather. If you, if your mom or your dad is in Christ, it does not mean that you're in Christ by proxy. You're not in Christ by proxy. You are to surrender to him yourself. Although your, your mom or your dad is your mom and your dad in this world, before the eyes of, of God, on the other hand, they are your brother and sister in Christ. Strange, isn't it? But amazing. He must be your God. You cannot love him until you know him personally. You must love the Lord, your God. Now notice those next words. With all your heart. The, the, the word heart refers to the core of our physical beings. The, the very core of your being should throb with love for the Lord. When we, when we love him with all our heart, loving him in all other areas of our lives will be no problem. We won't struggle with loving him in other areas when our hearts are all in. It says, love him with all your heart. And what's the next phrase? And with all your soul. Though the word soul refers to the seat of the emotions and the wheel. Our love for him should be an emotional love. But it's a love that is committed, but it's also an emotional love. That is, we should not be ashamed to express our love with the emotions. We should never be ashamed to be so filled with emotion that we cannot help but shed a tear when we think about what he has done for us. Emotions are not sin, brothers and sisters. Emotions, when they are redeemed, and they belong to him, are to be expressed to their fullest. The will should be involved. That is, loving the Lord is a decision we make within the will. With all your soul. Notice that with all your strength. With all your strength. I'm going, I'm going. Oh, with all your mind, sorry. Uh, <laughs> my glasses are not with me. With all your mind, right? The word mind refers to intellect. A lot of Christianity today uh, uh, seems like they call you to leave your brain at the door come but leave your brain at the door and they do mindless things and people just go with it but the Lord calls us to use our minds to love him to honor him with our mind as we understand who God is we must understand who God is before we worship him truly we must understand we must be taught as he has revealed himself in his word we respond to the truth by focusing on the power of the intellect to worship him and to love him 
must love him with all our minds. And notice the next phrase there. And with all your strength, oh young people, the Bible calls you to remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near in which you will say I have no pleasure in them the, the, the Lord is calling you today when you have your strength in you the, 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 it says the glory of the young man is his strength when, when, when your bones still allow you to, to, to walk around when, when your eyes still allow you to see from far, when all the members of your teeth are still present, the Lord calls you to love him with your strength. The Lord is not saying waste your energies with the world. And one day when you are on your deathbed, you will come and say, Lord, will you receive me? That day is not guaranteed, young people. The Lord calls you to love him with your strength. And it is only, it's not only the, the young people that the Lord is calling to love him with your strength, but even the elderly. Everyone is called to love the Lord with their strength. As the, the, the years go on, as the bones do not agree anymore, as when you wake up, the knees say, not now. Uh, sit uh, as, at least 10 minutes uh, when, when, when your eyes do not agree anymore when you look at the Bible it says let me rest just a bit at least get me some glasses to help me when your strength is waning let it wane in the Lord spend it in the Lord every ability every gift every talent every strength is to be mobilized to love The idea presented here is that we are to love the Lord our God with the entirety of our beings. The Lord has given us perfect, complete love. He loves us with all he has. We are to love him in the same way. When the Lord possesses a person, he also possesses all that a person has. We are to use every fiber of our being, every molecule of our being for his glory. This is what it means to love him. This is the image that is clear in Psalm 42. Notice what the psalmist says in Psalm 42. He says, as a deer pens for the flowing streams, so my soul pens for you, O God. My soul thirsts. For God, for the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? The, 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 the soul just keeps wanting the Lord. The, the, the posture is a posture of one who desires the Lord, as one who is longing after the Lord, as one who wants nothing but the Lord, one who cannot be satisfied by anything in this world but the Lord. This man... When you read the whole psalm, you will notice that he is far, far from, from the temple, far from the people of God, probably in exile. And all he longs for, all he thinks about, is being in the presence of God. All that he wants 
is to remember the day where he would lead a throng of people in worship. He just wants to be with the Lord. He's not pleased by the cucumbers and the onions of the land in exile. He's not pleased by the watermelons and whatever. He wants the Lord. Is that what you want? When you look at your life and you look at the desires of your life, the things that you think about often, the things that fill your mind. Or, when you look at your life and the things that you see as precious are taken away from you, are you going to say, bless the name of the Lord because he is all I need? Or are you going to curse the name of the Lord? Are you going to think the Lord has uh, abandoned you? Because sometimes we think that the presence of the Lord, the, the demonstration of the presence of the Lord is when I have things. When those things are gone, the Lord is not good. The Lord is not present. The Lord has forgotten me. We call to love the Lord. When the Lord possesses a person, He possesses all that the person has. The Jews quoted the Shema twice a day. They, they thought they were expressing their love for the Lord. For the most part, it was merely an empty ritual. Much like church is for many people. The person who truly loves the Lord is the person who fully trusts God and obeys the Lord in every area of his or her life. It is the idea of total commitment and total surrender. This is the genuine love for the Lord. Do you have it? Or you can't wait. You keep looking at your watch. There's a match. There's a match. I don't know if it's there match today, but anyways, there's a match. Notice as we, we, we go on in verse 31, Jesus says the second is this. And he speaks about the first one being the first commandment. Loving the Lord like we should is the primary commandment of the law. If we keep this commandment, we will have no problem with the rest. Now notice he says the second is like this. The second commandment builds on the first. The scribe if, if you, you, you listen to the conversation that Jesus Christ is having with the scribe, the scribe did not ask about the second. Right? The scribe had not asked about anything about uh, anything beyond the first commandment. Jesus goes a step further to teach us the truth that genuine love for God also manifests itself in perfect love for one fellow man. Jesus Christ, is, the scribe probably was about to answer him. Jesus says, wait, there's more. Notice, you should love as well. Here, the word again repeats itself, agape. The word that we love God with repeats it itself again. I am to love others with the same kind of love which God has loved me. I am to love them unconditionally, perfectly, eternally, and with all purity. Notice, your neighbor. We labored on the word, your neighbor, at the Bible study. Who is my neighbor? Jesus answered this question in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, verse 30 to 37. My neighbor is not just the person who is my friend. He is not just the person who looks like me 
or runs in my circles. According to Jesus, my neighbor is anyone who wears a suit of skin. Love your neighbor. Now, I want us to look at it again. Love your neighbor. What are those words? As yourself. Well, everyone in this room loves themselves, don't they? When self is hungry, we find it something to eat. When self is thirsty, we find it something to drink. When self gets sick, we get self some medical help. In other words, we always seek to meet the needs that pertain to self. We are to love those around us with the same kind of love. This does not mean that we love them with a mere sentimental or emotional love. No, we are to love them with a love that actively seeks their good. We are to do more than talk about love. We are to demonstrate genuine love to those who live around us. We can talk about love the whole day, define love the whole day, but when are we going to show love? This is the kind of love that is seen in the Lord Jesus Christ who willingly gave himself for us. This love is explained to us most clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Remember the, the, the Corinthian church had all these squabbles and conflicts and, 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 and boasting and, and, and Paul defines what love is. It's a patient love. It's a kind love. It is a love that does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It, it is a love that bears all things, that believes all things, that hopes all things, that endures all things. It is a love that does not end. It is a love that we are called to express among ourselves. Are we patient with one another? Are we kind in our words? Do we envy and boast in our things? Are we arrogant? Are we rude? Think about it. The way you speak to people, is it out of being rude or kindness? Are you seeking your own way? Are you easily irritable? Are you resentful? When God gifts another person with a certain gift, you resent it. Do you rejoice at wrongdoing when you see others committing sin, and I, I knew it. Or you encourage it. I'm not one to judge. Do you, boo-boo? We are called to love one another. If we loved like this, brothers and sisters, there would be no problems in the church, in the home, or the community. Love would solve the problems and meet the needs that exist all around. If you look at the church and all you see is conflict, you can rightly diagnose the church with a, with a deficiency in love. It lacks love. Jesus goes on to say, there is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus was the first man to put these two commands 
together to give a summary of the law. If we love God like he commanded us to, we would never break the first four of the Ten Commandments. If we loved our neighbor as we should, we would never break the six other commandments. Matthew chapter 22, verse 41, Jesus stated that the whole Old Testament can be summarized in these two commands. We, we need to stop trying to please God by our own, our own self-righteous deeds and by our own religious works. We need to learn to love him with all the heart, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And getting those two things right would change our churches, would change our homes, our communities, and our world. When all the layers are ripped away, all our problems and all our sins can be traced to a lack of genuine love for God and for our fellow man. That the question we face is what are we going to do about it? Are we going to continue as we are? Or are we going to come before the Lord and seek his help to love like we are commanded to love. Notice that the question is asked in verse 29, in verse, 20, uh, in verse 28, verse 29 to verse 31, it is answered. And verse 32, lastly, up until verse 40, 34, it is applied. So it is asked, it is answered, it is applied. We, 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 we don't just have to know truth we have to apply truth in our lives. But when this scribe hears the Lord's answer, his response is to say, well, the words uh, uh, means uh, beautiful. He's saying, yes, that is a beautiful answer. There is one God, and, and to love him perfectly and to love others perfectly is far more important than all the religious rituals in the world. The scribe had come to understand that the law of God was more than a religious system to follow. He had come to understand that it was essentially spiritual. He understood that the law existed to draw man to a faith relationship to God, with God. This man had come to understand the truth that escapes most people. He understood the truth that God is not reached through empty worship and external rituals. God is a spirit and he is he is only approached by a heart that is filled with love for him. That kind of love for God is only possible because God first reaches out to us. First John chapter 4, verse 19. God loved us and so we love. When his love touches us and draws us to him, we are able to retain that love and we are able to live out that love in obedience to God and in service to others. Here's what we need to understand. This scribe understood the truth that external religion and its rituals will never be enough to save the soul. He understood that relationship is far more important than religion. He knew that he could keep all the law and offer all the sacrifices and still not be right with God. Most people never understand this truth. All over the world, people will go to church and go through their rituals and think that they are, they, they are in a saving relationship with God. In truth, they are lost and on their way to hell. You are all cleaned up, all dressed up, and all, your, all the way to hell. Religious works will not save you. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. It is grace that saves the soul. A person can go through all the things we place so much emphasis in, like baptism, church membership, communion, and still die and be lost. It is not enough to be religious or do religious things. 
for a sinner to be saved, that sinner must have a vital relationship with the Almighty God. How is this possible? It can only happen because God makes the first move. The sinner is dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. He cannot feel God. He cannot desire God. He cannot know God and get to God. Somehow, somewhere, the sinner comes under the preaching of the gospel. The power of the gospel arrests the sinner. God comes to that sinner and convicts him of their sins. When God awakens the dead sinner and awakens their spirit and shows him uh, and her his condition, God draws that sinner to himself. When God calls, the, the, the sinner is given faith to believe the gospel. That faith reacts in the heart of the newly awakened sinner and he comes to Jesus for salvation. You see, genuine biblical salvation is the work of God from start to finish. It is a spiritual work from start to finish. It is not about ritual or religion. It is about simple faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you believed the gospel? Are you saved? Jesus hears the response of this scribe and he sees that this man who refuses to speak, uh, he, that this is a man who refuses to speak to party life. To, to just go with the crowds. He is a man who can think for himself. He is a man who is beginning to understand that knowing God is not about ritual. It is not, it is not about ritual, it is about relationship. He is not a, a subject to peer pressure. He, he, he dares to think for himself. Then Jesus looks at him and says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, you are close but you are not quite there. What does he mean? What he means is that this man was close, but he still had a way to go. He was standing near the door of salvation and was looking in on the things of God, but he had yet to take a step of faith that would guarantee his salvation. We need to understand the implication of this statement. Jesus was speaking to a decent man here. Jesus was speaking to a religious man. He was speaking to a man who kept the law to the best of his ability. Jesus was speaking to a man who probably lived a cleaner life than any person in this room today. Here is what we need to know. It is possible for a person to have a religious upbringing and still be lost. It is possible to know the truth and still be lost. It is possible to have heard the gospel preached all your life and still be resting on your own goodness and good works. It is possible to be gospel-hardened and, and to seal your own condemnation while sitting on a church pew. It is possible to be within an inch of heaven and still die and go to hell. Does this message find any of you in that condition? You have been around the things of God, but you have never been saved. You've done all the things people told you to do, but you have never really trusted Jesus for salvation. We need to deal with that today. It is dangerous to delay for even one more minute. If you know that you have never really truly trusted Jesus to save your soul, you need to come to him by faith today. You need to repent of your sins, believe the gospel, and be born again. It would be a shame to die and go to hell from the church pew. That's exactly what will happen to some otherwise decent people. They are close. But they are lost. 
They have looked into the door of salvation for years, but they have never stepped inside. They are only inches from heaven, but they are still headed to hell. Don't let that happen to you. How's your relationship with God? If it is all it should be, you love Him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and you love others as you love yourself. Is that true about you? Or do you need to make improvements in that area of your life? Are you saved today? Or are you religious but lost? You know, when you ask someone about their salvation and all that they can tell you is that I'm a Baptist. No, are you, are you saved? Do you know Jesus? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we, I've, I've been a Baptist all my life. No, no, no. I'm not asking if you are a Baptist. Or even, you know, some other thing. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm, 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 what's the other one? Uh, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Baptist or, uh, you know, I'm a Lutheran or whatever you can come up with. Whatever you can come up with. Right? It is all about that. You can be born in a Baptist family and go to a Baptist church and die in your Baptist self. Jesus is not calling us to be Baptists. He's calling us to be saved and to know him. In this world, obviously, as we gather together, we are identifying ourselves as Baptists. But we must be Christian first. If you will come to him at his call, he will not turn away from you. He will not turn you away. Regardless of your age, your sins, or your past, he will receive you forgive you and save you if you will come to him. I don't know your heart. I don't know your heart. But I know you need Jesus. If he has spoken to you on any level today, please do business with him and come to him. Surrender your life to him. Amen. Lord, we, we thank you that you are a God who knows our hearts who calls us to be fully committed to you express our love fully without a reservation love you with all our being may that be expressed O oh Lord because of what you have done for us how you have loved us and demonstrated that in your son Jesus Christ for those who don't know you, who have not committed to you, draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.